welcome to Offshore Explorer with Scott Dodgson. Uh, we've been uh, a little hit and miss, a little intermittent here, doing our show um, every other week. Uh, primarily the reason is, is uh, I pretty much do the show by myself. And uh, think up the stories, tell the stories, um, put everything together. Um, I have just published a book called The Mosaic Artist, which you can pick up on Amazon. Uh, Kindle read for like 99 cents. And uh, it's a great short story. If, if you've been listening to our podcasts, you know I did uh, The Mosaic Artist uh, podcast uh, last year. Um, it's a great little story. It's very emotional. It's based on um, true story. Um, it's eventually going to be fit into a larger book called uh, Dry Port Series. And these are stories that I heard um, while pretty much I was in port. And in some cases, uh, the stories are all sort of oriented around ports that uh, didn't exist or don't exist today. They, they're dried up. They're in, inland and... Um, they're not near the water anymore, but they have a very significant um, place in history. Sevilla is where it takes place in the south of Spain, um, once the most powerful port in the world. Um, that's where all the gold that was taken from the New World went through, and um, this is a story about the people who live there, and in particular, uh, a young boy named Carlos, coming-of-age story. So I just published that, and I'm working on another one, which has also been a podcast, um, The Casket Salesman. And The Casket Salesman uh, is a story about myself and my grandfather, who, who literally was a casket salesman. And um, I spent two weeks uh, driving around in his uh, 1959 powder blue Rambler uh, visiting funeral homes. And uh, my single thought about the whole trip was I wanted to see a dead person. I was 12. That's what 12 years old, 12 year olds do. And so that's kind of an exciting story. I will publish that before Christmas. I'll let you all know what the deal is with that. And it's, that's very exciting. And then I have a bunch of other stories that I have done, um, based, uh, on the podcast, uh, because many of the stories I write out beforehand, um, uh, before I get on the air. And um, I put those together. They're being um, edited right now, and uh, I expect to publish a book of those um, early uh, next year, possibly um, in the spring. And there'll be 14 or 15 stories in there. I'm also doing a couple of other things um, in terms of writing. I do a, I do a lot of writing. And um, so the podcast is set because there's, you know, there's great enthusiasm for listening to the podcast, but it's uh, very time-consuming, and I'm trying to uh, kind of balance out how things go. Plus, I just had my birthday, um, which, amazingly, I somehow made it to 69 years old. Um, I've been told that 70 is the new 50. I'm going to buy that, and um, I'm going to chant that to myself. Um, a lot of years at sea, um, a lot of uh, stories to tell. And this seems like a good time in my life to tell some of these stories. So today, I wanted to talk about training stories. And anybody who does any kind of uh, boat delivery or um, uh, distance traveling with friends uh, will will recognize some of the the problems and I I'm kind of always thought I was a really good trainer and I've probably trained I I would guess probably 40 50 mates I mean guys who became first mates and and were in the marine industry for quite a while um in one capacity or another um many of them became captains uh, I know a few of them kind of went the path of becoming um, an engineer and being in the in, in the engineering um, uh, slot. 
Uh, if you don't know, uh, there's a couple of different ways you you can um, you can take your marine career. Uh, one of which is to start out as a you know a, a common uh, a seaman, then work up to able-bodied seaman, and then you can work up from there. And that's where your choice comes. You can either go to the engine room, and everybody sort of has all these experiences being in the engine room learning about how to do engines, especially on commercial ships. Um, and even if you're just your run-of-the-mill 27-foot Catalina, um, y- you know, you're going to get, you're going to be in the engine room, you're going to, you know, be making sure your pumps are correct and the bilge is clean and you'll change the oil and and there's a lot of procedures that you're going to go through and, and, you know, checking batteries and all the rest of that kind of stuff. And that's a part of the, in a, in a kind of microscopic way, um, sort of where the industry is. So you have two choices, one of which is you stay in engineering and become an engineer, which is, by the way, a great job. And then the second is um, you can move to able-bodied seamen to mate and that means you get your deck experience, and then from mate you can move to captain. So there's a couple. There's chief engineers, the top one in the in the technical part. Um, you can become. You go onto an oiler, um, which is a different uh, uh, branch. And and these all these things. This is this is sort of the career path. But one of the main things is 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 training people or training people to, uh, you know, help you make a delivery or, or help you just, you know, get from point A to point B. And let's be honest, there's a lot of people out there that say they have a lot of experience in sailing, but they really don't. And you have to be very critical and find out what sort of skills people have. And you have to be able to come back and say, okay, you know, we can we can do this skill and, and we can improve on this. And I have three stories that I want to tell. Um, and the first of the stories is I got a job delivering a very old restored Chris Craft from Los Angeles um, to um, actually Oakland. Um, and for those who don't know, that's that's against the current. It's up, uh, going straight up the hill, and um, it can be a very, very rough ride, um, and but it can also be okay. And um, it's it's a transit that a lot of people make here on the west coast of America and west coast of California, and it's uh, it can be ru- it can be rough and tumble. There's not a lot of places to duck into if you catch some bad weather. And I want to tell you about, uh, in particular, this mate, um, who I will call Jerry the Astronaut. Now, Jerry and I were um, pretty good friends. He he lived on a boat in the same marina that I did. He was um, a vet from Iraq and uh, Afghanistan, and as many of you know, that I've I cut my teeth in Vietnam. So there's a there was a lot of experience. I do spend a great deal of time um, uh, off and on these years uh, talking to uh, um, vets from Iraq and Afghanistan with uh, PTSD. Uh, I suffered from it myself uh, many 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 years ago when I got back uh, from doing my my duty. And so we became fast friends, and he was going through some struggles, and um, I became his sounding board and sort of his uh, his therapist, as you might uh, you might understand that. And he was really into sailing. He had bought this nice little sailboat, and he was working on it. And I had actually helped him put a new engine in. Um, we had pulled it out, uh, the old engine, which was a piece of, you know what, and uh, we put it in, and he put it all together. He's a really, really smart guy, like really smart. And uh, he had a great history and a very interesting family. His 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 dad was a uh, horse trainer uh, in Kentucky, and he trained racehorses. 
and his mom was just, you know, a great mom and all the rest of this kind of stuff. And he was a really solid kid. And I made the mistake, and this is on me, of not really understanding what his skill level was for buying a boat. Now, anybody can buy a boat, and that's usually what happens. And they hope when they get the boat that they're going to learn stuff. But there's a lot of stuff that you have to learn that you may not necessarily um, pick up on your own. Somebody has to teach you these things. I mean, very simple things, you know, like like tying um, a bowline or or tying your boat off on the dock on a cleat and doing it properly. Um, people can look at it and, you know, it's, it's, it's a puzzle. Um, you know, how to set your sails, how to hoist your sails, how, you know, different points of leverage that you can use when, when sailing and um, things to look at. And so anyway, I, I thought, uh, because Jerry was a really, you know, smart guy and a good guy thought he had a lot more experience than he did and assuming was my problem I shouldn't have done that so I got this job to deliver um, this restored uh, Chris Craft had gas engines in it had the uh, the, f the Ford uh, Hemis in them or whatever they were called um, and you know, they were really, they are great engines. Everything, the engine room was just perfectly clean. It was really a great, great, um, a great little boat. And it was wood, um, well-appointed. And so I took the job on. And as you deliver boats and you learn to deliver boats and you learn to, tr to train your crew, you realize that one of the big... Um, points is delivering uh, boats that are wood. Um, they're a little bit different uh, than a fiberglass boat. Uh, so you have to spend you have to spend some time. you got to be a little bit more careful, especially with the boat. This boat, I think was 1960. So she was she was a pretty old boat and um, you know you just don't know what sort of problems, you know, planking. Um, a, a very good friend of mine was literally had a um, a through hole that um, he woke up one morning on his boat on his, uh, and it was uh, leaking and he thought hey I better get this thing over to the um, the yard and on the way to the yard in the middle of Long Beach Harbor the boat sank and um, there wasn't anything you could do about it and it turned out that that unbeknownst to the surveyor and unbeknownst to him that once that through hole started to rot away they couldn't it sounded good they couldn't act they didn't x-ray it but they it just popped and the through hole just popped out of the boat and it, the whole side of the boat was completely rotten and uh, nobody really could could it didn't look like it would be rotten but these are sort of some of the mysteries that you would get with an older boat and there's ways to to check that maybe i'll uh, do a I'll do a um, podcast on, um, you know, restoring uh, wood boats and how to check them and make sure the wood is solid because in most cases they can be, they can be really solid. So anyway, Jerry had, had, he and I had talked a lot and he had decided that uh, um, he didn't know what he was going to do. And his, his wife um, at the time uh, was having some serious mental problems. And um, she was just a just crazy, crazy, gorgeous girl, absolutely gorgeous girl, very tragic. Um, and she was she was really having a very, very hard time. And he was having a very, very hard time. You know, they were living together on this boat in the marina. They were they were trying to get their life. They were young. They were trying to get their lives together. He was dealing with PTSD. He was dealing with where am I going to go in my life? Um, she was supporting him, but was really suffering. Um, she was really suffering from, um, uh, schizophrenia and it was getting worse. And, um, she started to, you know, uh, smoke a little too much, drink a little too much. And, and it, she was just kind of losing the narrative of her life. And, and Jerry knew this and he was, he was struggling with it. Um, because he, I'm, 
very sure that he loved her very dearly. So I got this job to deliver this boat, and I said, why don't you come with me? I'll pay you. You come as a mate. Give yourself some time away, um, and we'll make the trip up. And he enthusiastically jumped on the job. And I'm assuming that he had sailed before. He owned a sailboat. He, he seemed to move around the boat pretty well. Um, I had helped him with his engine, putting that and putting, you know, taking it out. And, you know, he just, he just seemed confident about what he was doing. And uh, so I just said, oh, okay, great. You know, this is, this is good. And he was a super smart kid. And uh, so anyway, we, we went over, we checked the boat out and, um, you know, we left uh, very early in the morning and off we went, um, Actually, no, uh, I'm going to have to uh, revise that because with Jerry, we didn't leave Marina Del Rey. With Jerry, we actually went down to San Diego to pick up the boat where I met the owner, who I had known from a previous uh, boat uh, delivery. He had bought another boat, Um, very good friend of mine now, and... um, so we went down to San Diego, got the boat, and then we took it up. Now, between San Diego and Los Angeles, it's usually pretty cool. Um, not too much in terms of uh, bad weather. Um, you know, we fairly benign weather in Southern California. And as I have said before, that, um, you know, we're running against the current on the way up. But in a power boat, especially this, uh, those two little gas engines are you know, humping along and pushing the boat. And, and we were doing a nice, I kept it around, you know, between between 12 and 15 knots. Um, it was just enough to keep, keep the nose up, not too much. It, the boat couldn't plane. Um, it was just a little too heavy. And so it, just, it was just a nice, comfortable RPM to run at. And, 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 and off we went. And, of course, Jerry was really excited about the thing. I let him drive. I showed him what to do. I said, this is what you're going to do on the trip at night. You're going to sit up here at the helm and you're going to look out for that. I I showed him how to operate the radar. Um, We set the radar at about 30 miles um, from from San Diego up to uh, uh, LA, uh, Marina Del Rey. Um, We have to go past Pendleton and sometimes they run the the navy and the marines they run operations out there so you have to be watching them they're watching you for sure but you know you have a path and it's all pretty cool and then once you get up a little bit further you've got some off of huntington beach you have uh, some oil rigs um, so you have to kind of pay attention to them because there's service boats going back and forth there's a lot of things going on out there lot of things going on and then once you get past Huntington Beach and you start your way up you come up to uh, the port of Long Beach and that's where you have all the big container ships coming in and coming out now the cool thing about Long Beach is is the southern end you can hop behind the uh, breakwater and you can take that breakwater for 12 13 miles and it's just flat it's just all the way up to um, L.A., um, to the Angel Light. And then you can duck back out into the sea. So there's a little respite right there if the, if the sea is getting a little choppy on you. And so I'm explaining all this stuff to Jerry, and he's, he's taking it all in. And, and, you know, our first trip, we, we left um, early in the morning. We ended up getting into Marina Del Rey about 8 o'clock at night somewhere in that neighborhood um we put this we put the boat in a, a, a empty slip f- overnight uh i know the dock master it was cool um, my you know i've got to pop over to my boat and jerry got to pop over and check on his wife and she was she was doing okay she was very excited she seemed calm she seemed like everything was good she she had recently gotten some medication and his head was sort of over there with her but uh, the next morning, we just, you know, cranked up the engines and took off. Uh, we went over to the fuel dock and filled up again. Um, gas boats use a lot of fuel. And off we went out of Marina Del Rey, and, and we made our way up to Santa Barbara. 
Now, we got up to Santa Barbara, and the wind was blowing around the point up there like blistering, like 50 knots. And uh, we just sort of tucked into uh, a slip there, um, went in, paid the fees, and I took Jerry with me. I showed him everything that I, that I did. And this is a part of the training. I said, okay, you know, when you dock a boat, you have to tie it off this way. And, you know, he did, um, he had a problem in realizing how to do the, um, the tie the boat off on the cleat, which is, is, is not uncommon. A lot of people do if they haven't done it a lot, especially with the pressure of docking the boat. Like, you know, there's a panic. And I see a lot of captains, they get panicked too when they're docking the boat. You know what? You just get the pointy end in the hole and it'll all work out. All right? There's no steering. You just have to use the throttles. Um, people, I see people on sailboats, you know, turning their wheel like a thousand different degrees um, once they start putting the, getting the boat into the slip. Um, you have to understand that for, Every time that you turn the wheel, there's going to be a delay in what the rudder is going to give you, to give a result to you. So you'll be compounding if you're turning really fast like you think you're in a car, which is just, that's instant, right? You're instantly changing direction. You turn it the other way, you're instantly changing. You go left, you go right. It's really fast. In a boat, you go right, you have to wait. You go left, you have to wait. Wait for the action to happen. That's why you have to anticipate which way the wind is, which way the current is, and how, you know, your glide path, so to speak, because that's really what you're doing is gliding. And the lower the speed, the less the rudder is going to work for you. And a lot of um, novice uh, boaters don't realize that. So the real control is having the engine, okay? which way the engine is going forward or reverse, which way your stern is going to kick when it's in reverse, and, and, and whatnot. So these are things you have to do. So he was a little bit freaked out by this, and I, I explained to him, just as I explained to you, kind of what I was doing. And because once I got into a tight area, I, was, I never touched the wheel. I had the wheel in midships, and I just used the throttles. I had two engines. I could do that all day. I've, I've driven large mega yachts uh, with two engines and two different bow thrusters, you know, a bow thruster and a stern thruster. And, I, you know, it's to me, it's second nature. And I always make this mistake when it's second nature to me. I kind of assume that everybody else kind of knows that. And that's really a flaw in the way I, I think about how people deal with boats. So we had this really serious wind going on, 50 knots. And finally, it was it, it subsided the next morning, and we decided to take a, a, a quick, quick run around. So we just we took off. And when you, when you get out to the point, and the point up there is called Point Conception. It's sort of where the uh, weather systems divide. Uh, between Southern California and Central California, um, which for people on the East Coast probably don't realize this, but it's actually a pretty dramatic change. You have um, two high and low pressure systems that kind of run up against each other, and Point Conception is sort of the point where this all happens. And it could be, I've had some super nasty weather up there, super nasty. Um, and... But so, so Jerry was really excited about getting in, and it was, you know, we had some, the residuals of some fairly big waves. Um, we were going along slow enough. We were comfortable enough. I mean, we weren't getting water over the deck because the very high freeboard on these uh, Chris Craft. And we were doing okay. Um, and I noticed in his demeanor and his look that once we sort of got to Point Conception, because there's a lot of talk, Oh yeah, Point Conception. That's that's the place. You know, blah 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 blah. And he 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 started to get like really like nervous, and we started to have a conversation about this. His PTSD was sort of kicking in when the anxiety 
of a situation rose, all the rest of that anxiety that he experienced back in Iraq and Afghanistan came came back up. So he was kind of fit to be tied. It became um, really a terrible person to be around for that moment. He was very irritable and and you know started worrying about every little detail and does the engine sound different? How much fuel are we using? Well, what happens is should I check this and should I do this and why don't you why aren't you upset? And that was the question is why wasn't I I wasn't upset because uh, everything was under control. So we went through this period, this intense period and I've said this before and I've talked about it in various uh, podcasts and in different ways, that the whole thing about sailing is sailing is is deeply psychological. Um, sailing a boat is one thing. The experience of sailing a boat is another. And what you bring to that, some great literature, uh, Robert Stone's Outer Bridge Reach. If you haven't read that, you should read that book. It's a brilliant book. Absolutely a brilliant book. Um, you know, The Secret Sharer by Conrad. Another a great, real long short story. Great short story. And as a sailor, you need to, to, re, to catch up on this literature and read this literature. And I was trying to explain to Jerry what this whole deal was about. So there's a part, once you get around Point Conception, we were actually um, heading over to Morrow Bay. And we were going to spend the night in Morrow Bay, you know, recharge your batteries. And I wanted to check the engines. I wanted to do a thorough, I, I didn't want to push. We needed more fuel um, because it's, you know, it's gas engines, you know, suck up the fuel in these Chris craft. They don't have very big tanks. And in fact, the tanks sit sort of um, upright in the stern. Um, it's an interesting configuration. Um, and they, you know, they both feed the the engine two two tanks feed a day tank which feeds the engines and um so we were you know i'm constantly checking fuel and actually you know let's just top up because for morrow bay you know the next run uh would be up to um santa cruz or um there's a couple. There's a couple of other little tiny places that we can we could pop into, but it, anyway, this is a long run. It's a long run by boat, and usually it's very much you know uphill, um, and it's very much a uh, difficult um, trip. So we were you know we were talking about uh, probably putting in in Monterey, and um, you know going up around um, Carmel. Um, most of those commercials, you know, car commercials, you see the people driving along the PCH and the Great Bridge and, you know, the beautiful road and all the rest of that. Uh, we sail right up. You could see it as you're sailing by. I like to keep some distance between me and the land, um, especially with an old boat like this, uh, mainly because um, the further I'm away from the land, the, fur the further longer it's going to take for me to get to the rocks if something happens to the boat, like the engine's cut off. Which in this case is exactly what happened. Uh, we took on fuel in Morro Bay, and um, the fuel station there is is a good fuel station. Lots of boats use it, this, that, another thing. But it seemed like this boat, um, we had created a lot of, uh, there was a lot of sediment in the tanks, and it was it was like probably caked on the bottom and one of the the cakes of the goo that comes out of the gas out of the gas came up and clogged um, the filters and the gas um, you know filters and then we started to get a little water in there and it's like the tanks probably should have been cleaned but they weren't so we actually um, uh, Actually, off of um, uh, Big Sur, uh, the port engine cut off. And um, Jerry was very good. Once once he sort of clicked into that can-do 
army, I can make it happen, you know, deal mentally. He was super good. And I said, look, you're just going to have to steer this boat. Let me see what I can do. I went down. I cleaned out the filters. I ran it. Um, they clogged up again, which often happens. Um, I was just waiting for it. And we just sort of came into Monterey Bay. Finally, as we're in Monterey Bay and I'm, you know, I'm at the engines. I'm in the engines, which is, is you have to kind of crawl under there. So it's not like I can pop my head up and say, hey, how you doing? Um, it, it was a pain in the ass to get in and out. I got up, I got up, and then we we got. I got the engines running. It seemed like the fuel was going to be clean. I could check um, the bulb. It looks like the whatever chunk came out is was done, and it was just because of the seas had churned something up, and 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 the soot in the bottom of the the tank kind of created this problem. But you got to know how to do this kind of stuff. So I'm explaining to Jerry in the nicest way that this is how you do this kind of stuff. And we're thinking, I'm thinking, okay, this is great. You know, there's always something that happens with the boat, always some sort of crazy shit. So we went uh, into Monterey, and we pulled up to the fuel dock, and the engine wouldn't shut off. And the engines just kept running. And... Um, I had yelled at Jerry when he was tying the boat up because uh, he wasn't doing it right. And I just thought, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I was really tired. And um, I was getting irritable because of having to deal with his stuff. And, you know, it was just, I was really uncomfortable. And I didn't really mean to bark at him, but I did. And I can bark. Trust me, I can really bark. And um, I have barked and, you know, you know, I can bark. Any case, it's not a very good thing, but sometimes it comes in handy. Um, so I got him, and he was really upset by this. And I went down and figured out what was going on. There's like, a, for these gas engines, there's um, a solenoid that has to click off. It's a solenoid before a solenoid. And they're just this, the, the little solenoid clicks on, clicks off, clicks on, clicks off. And it turns out that, that the, the, the little hinge that the solenoid um, contacts was on was just jamming up. It's a very simple thing. Um, and I just unclicked it and the engine stopped. And um, so that was something I had to deal with because to start the engine... I had to go downstairs and manually click the uh, the solenoid on to start the engines. Um, this actually was only, I think it was the starboard engine, if I remember correctly. And so that's what we did. So I'm teaching Jerry all this stuff. And he's kind of getting like, um, and I could see it. He was, he was sort of drowning in the information. And, I, you know, I'm going, well, you got to do this. And you can do this. And you can't do this. You do this. This is just We went out to eat. We had a nice dinner, came back to the boat, cleaned everything up. And the next morning we took off. And he was just, he was really uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. Finally, we made it all the way up um, into Oakland. Um, we delivered the boat. Um, to the slip, uh, what was waiting for us, and and Jerry was like super super upset, and you know we got paid, and I was going to stay a couple of days more, and hang out in San Francisco, in Oakland, San Francisco, and so I put Jerry on a plane and um, flew him home. Um, I got back a couple of days later. And um, I was very tired. Um, went to my boat, and I found out that 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 his wife had committed suicide, and she had done so after he had gotten home. He was a wreck, so I went over to the boat. How you? Do, what's going on? This, that, another thing, and try to get him, you know, to refocus on where he was going. There was a lot of things going on. There was, you know, the police and the coroner and the sheriffs and all kinds of stuff like this. And he was just he was just ready to give up. So he and I spent 
after we had spent all this time taking this boat up and all the training and stuff like this, he and I spent a lot of time talking about where his head was, how he was feeling, you know, the things he had to get over, his wife's problems. They weren't his problems, but, you know, they were her problems. And we went on and went on and went on. And then he said to me, and just sort of like left field kind of comment, we had gone past Vandenberg Air Force Base, which is out point near Point Conception. And this is where they, they, um, they landed the space shuttle. Um, the Air Force is out there. They do a lot of uh, uh, work out there. And he looked at me and he goes, I'm going to become an astronaut. I'm going to graduate school and I'm going to become an astronaut. And I said, good on you, man. Good on you. I thought he was just pipe dreaming. But he did say one thing. He says, you got to do, you know, don't assume that somebody knows their stuff. You got to train them up in your way. And I agreed with him. And I apologized for barking again. But he said he learned a lot. And he felt better about the boat. And he was going to sell the boat. And he was going to go back to school. And that was it. That's what we, he was going to do. And um, he grieved for his wife. Um, we all did. It was just really sad. Um, and so Jerry, uh, he went back, went to graduate school. And today he's in the astronaut program at NASA. And I had learned quite a bit about the psychological um, baggage that people bring to boats. Sometimes they're unable to get over it. I mean, what happened to Jerry was, was really tragic, but I go back to that youthful enthusiasm and the learning and pushing forward and, and picking it all up. And then something clicked in him. He said, just, I wasn't going to learn anymore. Um, and he felt really bad about that. And that was like a, that was an epiphany for him. He realized that he had to keep learning because learning was going to save his life. And it was going to put all those demons in their boxes and he was going to be able to move forward and be preoccupied by stuff. And his mind needed that kind of stuff. His emotional intelligence needed that kind of exercise. And that's what boating gave to him, a kind of emotional intelligence of being able to sit for long periods of time, to be able to handle problems as they came up, and not to do it and throw your hands up, oh, I can't fix the engine, I don't know what to do. You know, you train, you train, you train, you train. So this, the second story that I have to say is um, about the house painter. And I bring this up in a kind of tongue-in-cheek way. Um, Jason, uh, the house painter. I met Jason, of course, like anybody. I met him on the dock. Um, he was an enthusiastic uh, uh, sailor and racer. Um, he worked a lot on his rig. He wanted to be a rigger. His, he made his money as a house painter, but not like, you know, like little houses. He did apartment complexes and stuff. He had like a serious house painting, business painting business. Um, really lovely guy, quick with a smile, very, uh, you know, straightforward and honest and, 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 you know, nice to be around. And, um, he, I, I went out sailing with him a bunch of times. I was he was out on my boat a bunch of times. Uh, we had we had some great fun. Um, we had a little bit of a falling out um, over some stuff uh, having to do with um, you know a car. I bought a car. It was an old car, and 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 he loved the car he went to buy the car he bought the car for me and and i hadn't done any any work on it i was it was a it was an old 1971 nova and i was going to fix it up and um you know and then and then resell it and he said oh no i'll, I'll do it and, and he took it and then the engine blew up so he was a little pissed at me for the engine blown up which i actually had nothing to do with it um that was you know 
that was that. So anyway, I had spent a great deal of time uh, with Jason, training Jason how to do stuff. He came to me after all this incident, and he was still, you know, friendly, but a little bit more distant. And he came to me and he said, look, he says, you know, I have this job of driving this big boat. Can you, can you help me, train me? And I did. So I took him out. Um, in this uh, 65, it was a 65 foot, um, what was it? It was a it was a big power boat. Oh, it was a 65 foot Ferretti, which I had driven before. Um, so I took him out and I showed him how to handle the boat. And one of the drills that I do for any mate or captain um, that's coming onto a new boat is uh, handling drills. Um, big boats react a little bit differently than smaller boats. And um, I, will, I will be the first to admit that I had uh, driven, the largest boat I've driven is about, it was 260 feet, a mega yacht with a helicopter on the back. And that's a, it's a whole different animal to drive one of those boats, to, to, you know, to dock it, undock it, you know, move it around. It's 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 just a different an approach that you have to have. And if you're by yourself in that sort of mid range between fifty and ninety, or fifty and one hundred and five, and you have a power boat or a sailboat, it's a, it's not any more difficult. And in fact, it's less difficult than handling a smaller boat. And I say that because when I first uh, got a job working for Vessel Assist as a captain, um, which was a great job, I learned more about small boat handling, doing that, handling smaller boats in tight areas um, uh, than I did when I ran tugs in New York Harbor. Um, there's, a certain, there's certain parallels to it and familiarity I had. But anyway, there was... There is a lot to handling a small boat, learning on a small boat, and it's much more difficult than a bigger boat. So never think because there's a big boat that, oh, I can't handle it because I don't have the experience. It'll come, and it's easy, It's actually easier to handle because a bigger boat will often sit where it's supposed to be. Okay, It's not going to be affected that much um, by wind like a small sailboat. Like a, you know, a 27-foot Catalina could be more difficult to dock than, than say a sixty-five foot powerboat. It's just that's just the nature of the beast. So anyway, Jason had come to me and asked me, and I took him out. And there's a you know there's a quarantine buoy that is out in the middle of Marina del Rey. So I took him out and I said, okay, here's what we're gonna do. Um, we're gonna do the points of the compass. And you're gonna drive up to the buoy with your bow. You're gonna stop in front of the bow, and then you're going to move the boat around you can go either port or starboard but you're going to move the boat around beware of the wind um not much current but beware of the wind and you're going to just keep keep the nose of the boat on and you're just going to move uh, maneuver your boat all the way around in a circle around the buoy and the buoy is just there for reference so that you can do that and he went ahead and he started to, to do it. And um, we had, he had some difficulties doing it. Um, had a problem getting the, um, uh, a couple of uh, the bow thruster to work a certain way. And, but he eventually got it and he became, he became much, much better at it. Well, eventually, this is like maybe a year later after I taught him that because he was driving this boat. And he had gotten his captain's license. He was doing really well. Um, he ended up driving the uh, Catalina Ferry, which is a ferry that leaves um, Marina del Rey and goes to Catalina. It's about a 40-mile run, and it's a hydrofoil. Um, it's a big deal. And I was very proud of him. I mean, I didn't see him very much. You know, it's the boating world. And he took off, and that's what he did. And he, he gained a lot of experience going back and forth between Catalina and Marina del Rey. He did that for a few years. So he, he was getting his dream of being like a professional Marine captain. So I was thinking, okay, you know, one more guy taught, one more mate off, got his captain's license, 
He's working professionally. He's doing a great job. He's learning a lot of stuff. And he's got he's getting some great experience. Happy with him. Happy he's going there. I'm off doing my own thing. In fact, I was doing a couple of movies at the time. And, you know, he was just, you know, he'd gone from house painter to marine captain. So he gave me a call. And this is a very interesting thing because Jason's experience went as far as um, the local waters. Uh, he had never been past Point Conception. And he had never been further, uh, I think he had been down to San Diego once. Um, I think he sailed down there. He had been to Catalina. Um, but he had sort of been in this uh, one area in Southern California. So he got a job. Um, to take uh, a little powerboat, uh, 36-foot diesel, um, twin diesels in it, um, to go from Marina del Rey and take it down to Cabo St. Lucas. And he came by the boat and he says, look, I got this job. It pays really well. Uh, it's for a very famous uh, producer, uh, TV producer. Um, and so we're going to take the, I'm going to take the boat down there and I, I need help. I need a mate that I can count on. And I said, sure, I'll go with you. No worries. So I figure I'm just going as a mate, which means that, um, for me, given the amount of experience, I could have done this boat by myself. I, I could have, you know, I was going to sleep most of the way, read, um, do some fishing, cook, eat, drink, whatever. And, and just enjoy myself going down to Cabo. Because I thought, oh, just Jason's, you know, he's got his act together. He's a good captain. He knows what he's going to do. There's this, that no thing. Again, the psychological comes into it. The reason Jason asked me to go with him is because he was incredibly insecure about making this passage and being in a foreign country with a boat. And I was the only one who, in the area that had as much experience. There wasn't anybody really that had more experience than I did as far as traveling internationally. And so we're going, we're going down, and then we had a little weather situation. It was at night. It was blowing really hard. And, and I get up. I was asleep. I get up. Boat's rocking around. I come up get up on the um, into the flybridge and and Jason's eyes are as big as saucers. I said, dude, what's the matter? Oh, we're gonna have to abandon ship. I mean, we're talking total panic. We gotta get the life raft out. We gotta do this. We got I said, why? <laughs> we're going we're going along at like 15, 20 knots. The engines are running, plenty of fuel, plenty wet there's nothing, there's no sinking here. What's going on? He was in a total panic, like a total panic. So I finally got him calmed down. I said, dude, what's the matter? Oh, I can't, I can't handle the boat. The boat's doing this. It's doing that. And I said, okay, well, let's just do it this way. So we t I take the boat. And one of the things when you're in a big ocean, and this was a big ocean, don't get me wrong, it was intense, is to take the boat and find a comfortable place where to run. Because it's not going to bother you. What was happening was we had very serious uh, offshore wind. And Mexico is very hot. Um, the land really heats up. And at night, you can get the wind coming off of the land. And they'll just the offshore winds will just blow stink. And they'll kick up some serious, you know, short-term waves until they kind of peter out. We're in that zone in which everything was all screwed up. High wind, choppy, horrible rolling seas, contrary seas going against the current, contrary seas going um, from from land to ocean, ocean to land. Um, it was just it was just ridiculous. So I said, "Dude, let's do this." So I said, "Well, why don't you why don't you let me steer for a little while?" So I jumped on the helm. And I, I turned the boat. 
he he was like on the course. That's all he wanted to do is on the course. And he was ready to get the life raft out. So I just turned the boat and I started to find the comfortable spot. The next thing you know, we're we're running with the waves. We're off course a little bit. We're still going south. Uh, we're actually going more south where the course calls for more southeast. Um, so we're only going to be off a few degrees until we get past because it's a very definite area. And I was explaining to him that in some cases when you're coastal sailing, you'll have these wind events. I talked about the catabatic wind. Um, you get to standard offshore winds. Um, sometimes the mountains behind, sometimes the deserts that are that are way inland have a have a have a tendency to build up these big uh, heating heat events, and the wind kicks up and it comes across. It meets the cold water, um, and it and it it can get quite violent. I turned a boat and found a comfortable spot where to go. But what this showed me is, despite all the training that that Jason had, I mean everything that he had gone through, all the stuff that I had taught him, psychologically he was not prepared to to do this job because the first sign of distress, he was in a panic. He was ready to abandon, I mean literally was ready to pop the the um, life raft and get, get in it, even though the boat was perfectly well. And I had to explain to him, and this is, of course, I think the reason I was there, is to assuage his fears and his panic. So eventually he kind of got down, got it together. Um, we had a couple of other really small problems, but they were easily handled. Um, the boat ran really well. We got down to Cabo, and all Jason wanted to do is get me off that boat. He was so embarrassed that I had seen this flaw in his psychology that I wasn't, we had docked the boat and he was already talking about me going to the airport like in like 20 seconds after we got the boat docked. I thought I was going to hang out in Cabo for a day or two. But no, it was like, oh, the owner's going to be here, you have to go. I said, okay. So I did. I, I left, I left him in Cabo. I got on the plane, I flew home. And um, I saw him much later, and and I never brought up the whole thing, but I could always see when I looked into his eyes that I saw that fear and that panic. And he later shifted from being going towards a marine career into becoming an engineer and a boat repair guy and starting a business there, which he's done extremely well. Still sales locally, but he doesn't do anything big like that. So it's very interesting to see how psychologically um, and metaphysically these things can pop up and, and change one's life. Um, changed his life to be presented with the fact that he couldn't handle his fear. Whereas Jerry, the astronaut, he learned to deal with his fear, even despite all the trans tragedy. And he learned to, he learned about emotional intelligence. Uh, Justin didn't learn about emotional intelligence. He just, he said, okay, I, I can't, I'll panic again. I won't be able to do it. That's it. I'm done. And that's what he did. So he went off to being a boat repair mechanic. It's interesting. And so the th the third story I want to talk about, um, and I know I'm probably droning on a little bit here, but follow me with it, is I'm going to call workmanship guaranteed. And this story, I had worked on a boat. Um, one of the things you do is, as a Marine guy is you'll take on certain jobs. I, I painted a boat. Uh, it was a 35-foot Catalina whatever I had painted the boat the whole boat in, inside and outside um, I had done some uh, different work on some of the pumps and rebuilt the whole boat essentially and it, and it worked out really well um, the boat looked great when I was finished and the owner was a complete freaking nut and it was you know it was great fun um, I got paid very well and I enjoyed it 
um, to a certain extent. Um, and um, I said, fine, great. Okay, that's it. About two years later, he sold the boat and recommended me to deliver this boat um, to San Francisco and um, actually Oakland again. And, you know, go up past Point Conception, uh, Monterey, you know, all, you know, Moonlight Bay, all the way up. And um, the two guys had zero, zero um, sailing experience. I, I would say the one guy, um, Adam, had more experience, um, but not really a lot of experience to start with. The other guy, he was a cook. And he was just along. He was going to be a cook on the boat, and he was his best friend. They're two gay guys, very funny. Um, uh, thought this would be a great adventure, and they were going to do it themselves. And gun ho, gun ho, gun ho. And I took on the job because the job they they wanted to they paid me very well for this job. And I thought, well, okay, I I do know this boat. And um, so I checked it out. The engine was, everything seemed to be, you know, in good working order, which is always a problem when you, you know, you're, it's a risk you take when you deliver boats. You know, it's a lot of things you may not see. You could check everything out, but, you know, you're not going to know what it is until it breaks. So anyway, I got these guys on the boat and, you know, I thought, okay, this is going to be a lot of fun. Off we went. Um, and I, I was teaching them about this and teaching them about that. I was showing them how to, you know, we'd had the sails up and we sailed up to Santa Barbara and, you know, it was it was blowing stink again up there at Point Conception. And we literally had to wait three or four days in Santa Barbara before we could get around the corner. But it ended up we had a problem with the engine. Uh, the engine kept cutting out, um, kept having fuel problems, um, kept having electronic problems. It was a diesel engine, but there was a lot of problems with this boat, uh, the engine. Finally, I thought we had it all all fixed up. The, the, the cook actually shorted out most of the electricity, um, trying to put a, uh, left a, a cooking uh, heating plate on um, and almost burned the, uh, the boat down through the inverter. Um, you know, and I told him not to do that. And it was just, it was endless of all the little problems that were coming up. So we, we finally got in, got out of Morro Bay, uh, got around points conception, got around Morro Bay. And I'm not expecting much from these guys, but I am expecting from Adam to drive the boat straight. Okay. So I had to go up on deck. It was just, we got up to, um, Big Sur. And we have to, there's a, you have to get around a corner to get into Monterey, okay? And Monterey Bay is, can be a very ugly bay. And we're working and we're working and we're tacking and we're working. We got the wind on the nose. And so I had to go up on the foredeck because they didn't want to go up on the foredeck because it was too dangerous. But I had been, it's what I do. So I went up and I had to, I was reefing in the, the jib. And I got up there and, Adam is sitting there talking to his other buddy, and and they're having giggles over there, and they're not paying attention to me being on the foredeck. They had no idea, and thank God I had on my um, safety harness. All right, I was strapped in, and I'm out there on the deck. I'm getting pummeled with water coming over the, the and I had them turn the boat around. I'm yelling at them, "Could you do this? Could you turn here? Could you pay attention?" And they're not paying attention to me. I went up, gravity lift, you know, the boat lifted me off. I was off, literally off the boat as the deck went away from me. I hit the rail, okay, and I flipped over the rail, and I was hanging onto the front of the boat on the outside. My feet were in the water. I was jumped, I, you know, I the boat rose again. I kind of, you know, the, the gravity took me up. Um, it was it was like this crazy up and down roller coaster kind of thing, and I finally got myself back on the boat. These two guys didn't even know that I was off the boat and hanging over the front. They were just sitting there. And they were talking about some sort of recipe to cook for the day, 
and where they were going to go in Monterey to eat and all sorts of different stupid stuff. I was so infuriated. I was so infuriated. I actually got the whole thing reefed down. and I, I, We started to go, and I, I wanted to take the boat into Monterey. Um, we got there. The engines started to cut out again. I was so frustrated with these guys because they weren't paying serious attention. Um, they almost got me killed. And so um, we finally got into Monterey. We, we got into the dock. Um, literally I had to, I literally had to sail the boat because the engine cut out again. And I literally had to sail the boat onto the dock in Monterey and lasso the cleat to stop the boat. And these guys still couldn't. I just said, you stand here at the main. When I say drop the main, you just drop the main. He says, okay, I'm going along. We're getting closer to the, closer to the dock. I've got speed. I don't need to sail. I said, drop the main. And he stands there and looks at me like, huh? I said, drop the main. And we're still got a lot of speed. We need to scrub speed off because we're going to plow into this dock. Right? I mean, I won't hit the dock, but I'll go on the side of the dock. Finally, he drops the, the thing, the sail. I lasso the cleat as we're flying by, tie it off real fast, and we stop like rubber band man I get the other the other guy he he throws the line out onto the to the dock for whatever reason there was nobody there to catch it so I hop off the boat I grab the line out of the water because it had fallen in the water the bow's sort of drifting off the dock and finally I got the boat tied up and I said listen guys I said you're close enough to San Francisco right now that you could do this in increments. You could sail from here to Santa Cruz and have a lovely afternoon sail. You can go to Santa Cruz to Moon Bay and have a lovely afternoon sail. And then from Moon Bay to San Francisco and have a lovely afternoon sail. You have enough experience. It's up to you. I'm not doing this anymore for you. These guys were unteachable. They didn't belong on boats. They didn't belong on a delivery. When you really have weather problems, uh, mechanical problems, you need, to you need to do it all. You need to be able to have all. And teaching these guys anything was just ridiculous because they didn't have the attention span. Maybe the attention span of an ant, but that was it. So these are three stories. Um, they eventually got their boat up to San Francisco. They're fine. I got on a plane in Monterey and flew home. I was done with them. It was taking way too much time. Um, I didn't get my bonus, delivery bonus, which usually happens at the end. And I just, that, that was it. I wasn't going to do this anymore. I had no time. I had no patience. I had no charm left, period. I was done. So there's three ways here. This intelligence, this emotional intelligence I speak of, and there's always the technical stuff. So we saw that in the stories that Justin didn't have a great deal of technical experience, but he learned, and learning kept his emotional intelligence growing. Jason had a great deal of technical experience, but he didn't have the emotional intelligence to solve a problem to realize that he wasn't in jeopardy and that things could be okay. He 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 had a panic button that he couldn't he couldn't deal with. And then these other two guys, who don't deserve to be on a boat, who had absolutely no regard for life, and are more in their own heads, um, doing what they do. And. This is not to say anything against gay people at all. I've sailed with a lot of really great gay sailors. And, um, you know, I raced, I raced um, in the Southern Ocean um, on the French team Le, Le Clip. And um, two of the guys on there were just freaking awesome sailors, and both were gay. 
So there's no, there's not there's not that issue that I'm bringing up. It's just that this happened to be who these two guys were. Any case, the story is is you really as a captain um, and for yourself as a a, a regular boater um, or a marine captain as you're going is training is the key is the key is the key. You have to train both technically. You have to train um, as well as being able to emotionally be ready for um, whatever comes up. And to, to when you're in the breach, learn how to um, deal with the problems that you have. And this comes through experience, um, but it's also part of growth. You have to grow yourself into these kinds of, these kinds of things. And um, anyway, that's that's it for today um, on Offshore Explorer with Scott Dawson. I want to thank uh, Paulette McWilliams for the music in the beginning. And um, go buy my books. I appreciate it. You'll find that on offshoreexplorer.org. Um, you'll find the, the, the book there and the link um, to go get the book. Um, I'll have more for Christmas. And... Um, Thank you very much, and I'll, I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you real soon, and I hope you have some calm seas and fair winds. This offshore explorer.